0: Section sixty-three of Wagner, the Werewolf, by George W. M. Reynolds. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fifty-nine. Ferdinand was now at a loss how to act. He felt convinced that it was useless to institute any further inquiries relative to the whereabouts of the secret order of the Rosy Cross, because had popular rumor ever hinted at any clue in that respect the garrulous and inquisitive barber would have been sure to hear of it he was not however disheartened no very far from that for he was confident that the same supernatural power that had hitherto directed him and which was rapidly clearing away all obstacles in his path toward perfect emancipation from the influence of the evil one would carry him to a successful and triumphant issue throwing himself therefore entirely on the wisdom and mercy of heaven he roamed about the town of syracuse without any settled object in view until he was more wearied and it was very late he then entered a miserable hostel or inn the best however that he could discover and there having partaken of some refreshment he retired to the chamber allotted to him sleep soon visited his eyes but he had not long enjoyed the sweets of slumber when that barby repose was interrupted either by a touch or sound he knew not which starting up in his couch he perceived a tall figure muffled in a huge dark mantle and wearing a slouched broad-brimmed hat standing by the side of the bed rise Ferdinand wagner said a mild but masculine voice and follow me ye whom thou seekest hast sent me to lead thee to him wagner did not hesitate to obey this mandate which he felt certain was connected with the important business that had borne him to syracuse his apparel was speedily assumed and he said i am ready to follow thee stranger whoever thou art and whithersoever thou mayst lead for my faith is in heaven those who have faith shall prosper observed the stranger in a solemn tone he then led the way noiselessly down the deep staircase of the inn and issued forth by the front gate closely followed by wagner in deep silence did they proceed through the dark narrow and tortuous streets leaving at length the town behind them and then entering upon a barren and uneven waste by degrees an object at first dimly seen in the distance and by the uncertain moonlight which was constantly struggling with the dark clouds of a somewhat tempestuous night assumed a more defined appearance until a mass of gigantic ruins at length stood out from the sombre obscurity in a few moments the moon shone forth purely and brightly and its beams falling on decayed buttresses broken Gothic arches, deep entranceways, remnants of pinnacles and spires, massive walls of ruined towers, gave a wildly romantic, and yet not unpicturesque, aspect to the remains of what was evidently once a vast monastic institution. The muffled stranger led the way amongst the ruins, and at last stopped at a gate opening into a small square enclosure formed by strong iron railings, seven feet high and shaped at the points like javelins passing through the gateway the guide conducted wagner into the cemetery which was filled with the marble tombs of the metered abbots who had once held sway over the monastery and the broad lands attached to it you behold around you said the muffled stranger waving his arm toward the ruins all that remains of a sanctuary once the most celebrated in sicily for the piety and wisdom of its inmates but a horrible crime a murder perpetrated under circumstances unusually diabolical, the criminal being no less a person than the last Lord Abbot himself, and the victim, a beauteous girl whom he had seduced, rendered this institution accursed in the eyes of God and man. The monks abandoned it, and the waste over which you have passed is now the unclaimed but once fertile estate belonging to the Abbey. The superstition of the sicilians has not failed to invent terrific tales in connection with these ruins and the belief that each night at twelve o'clock the soul of the guilty abbot is driven by the scourge of the demon through the scene alike of his episcopal power and his black turpitude effectually prevents impertinent or inconvenient intrusion the observation with which the muffled stranger concluded his brief narrative convinced wagner that it was amongst those ruins that the brethren of the rosy cross had fixed their secret abode but he had no time for reflection inasmuch as his guide hurried him on amidst the tombs on which the light of the silver moon now streamed with a power and an effect that no dark cloud for the time impaired stopping at the base of one of the most splendid monuments in the cemetery the muffled stranger touched some secret spring and a large marble block immediately opened like a door the aperture revealing a narrow flight of stone steps wagner was directed to descend first a command which he obeyed without hesitation his guide closing the marble entrance ere he followed for several minutes the two descended in total darkness at length a faint glimmering light met wagner's view and as he proceeded it grew stronger and stronger until it became of such dazzling brilliancy that his eyes ached with a supernatural splendour that glorious lustre was diffused from a silver lamp hanging to the arched roof of a long passage or corridor of masonry to which the stone steps led Wagner said so the guide in his mild and somewhat monotonous voice thou now beholdest the eternal lamp of the rosicrucians for a hundred and twenty years has that lamp burnt with as powerful a lustre as that which it now sheds forth and never once no not once during that period has it been replenished no human hand has touched it since the day when it was first suspended there by the great founder of our sect all doubt was now dispelled from the mind of wagner if a doubt he had even for a moment entertained since the muffled stranger had summoned him from the inn he was indeed in the secret abode of the holy sect of the rosy cross his guide too was a member of that brotherhood and there almost too dazzling to gaze upon burnt the eternal lamp which was the symbol of the knowledge cherished by the order wagner turned to gaze in wonder and admiration upon his guide and beneath the broad brim of the slouched hat he beheld a countenance venerable with years imposing with intelligence and benevolent with every human charity wise and philanthropic redicrucian exclaimed wagner i offer thee my deepest gratitude for having permitted me to enter this sanctuary but how camest thou to learn that i sought admittance hither and unveiled to me the great mysteries of this place we are the servants of holy angels who reveal to us in visions the will of the most high answer the rosy crucian and they who commanded me to bring thee hither will induce thine heart to retain our secret inviolable not of a cried wagner with an enthusiasm which denoted sincerity But i betray ye "'Tis well,' said the Rosicrucian, with philosophic calmness, "'as if he put more faith in the protecting influence of heaven than in the promises of man. "'I shall not accompany thee further. Follow that passage. "'At the extremity there are two corridors branching off in different directions, "'but thou wilt pursue the one leading to the right. "'Proceed fearlessly, and stop not till thou shalt stand in the presence of the founder of the sect.' Ferdinand hastened to obey these directions, and having threaded the two passages, he entered a large and rudely hollowed cavern, where the feelings of mingled awe and suspense with which he had approached it were immediately changed into deep veneration and wonder, as he found himself in the presence of one who, by his appearance, he knew could be none other than Christianus Rosencrux. Never had Ferdinand beheld a being of such venerable aspect, and though old, evidently very old as indeed wagner knew him to be yet the founder of the celebrated rosicrucians manifested every appearance of possessing a vigorous constitution as he was assuredly endowed with a magnificent intellect his beard was long and white as snow a century and three score years had not dimmed the lustre of his eyes and his form though somewhat bent was masculine and well knit he was seated at a table covered with an infinite variety of scientific apparatus and articles of the same nature were strewn upon the ground to the roof hung an iron lamp which indeed burnt faintly after the brilliant lustre of the eternal flame that wagner had seen in the passage but its flickering gleam shone lurid and ominous on a blood-red cross suspended to the wall fernand drew near the table and bowed reverentially to the rosicrucian chief who acknowledged his salutation with a benignant smile wagner he said in a firm but mild tone i have been forewarned of thy coming and am prepared to receive thee thy constant and unvarying faith in heaven has opened to thee the gates of salvation and it is mine to direct thee how to act that the dreadful doom which thou hast drawn upon thyself may be annihilated soon and for ever the venerable man paused and ferdinand again bowed lowly and with profound respect so soon as the morning sun shall have revisited this hemisphere continued rosencrux thou must depart for italy start not ferdinand but prepare to obey that power which will summon thee on arriving in italy proceed direct to florence and fear not to enter that city even in the broad daylight thou wilt not be harmed there await the current of those circumstances that must lead to the grand event which is ordained to break the spell that has cast upon thee the doom of a werewolf for as thou didst voluntarily unite thyself in the face of heaven with don anisida riverola so it is decreed for the wisest purposes that a circumstance intimately connected with her destiny must become a charm and a talisman to change thine own on thine arrival in florence Therefore seek not to avoid Lady Nisida, but rather hasten at once to her presence. And again I say, a supernal power will protect thee from any baneful influence which she might still exercise over thee. For the spell that the evil one hath cast upon thee, Burden and Wagner, shall be broken only on that day, and in that hour when thine eyes shall behold the skeletons of two innocent victims suspended to the same beam. Having uttered these words in a louder and hurried, but not the less impressive tone, than he had first used, Christianus Rosencrux motioned impatiently for Wagner to depart, and Ferdinand, amazed and horrified at the dreadful words which had met his ears, retreated from the cavern, and sped rapidly back to the spot where he had quitted his guide, whom he found waiting his return beneath the undying lamp. The Rosicrucian conducted Wagner in silence from that deep and subterranean abode beneath the tomb, thence through the cemetery amidst the ruins of the monastery and across the wild waste back to syracuse nor did the muffled brother of the rosy cross take leave of ferdinand until they had reached the door of the hostel there they parted the rosy crucian invoking a blessing upon the head of wagner who regained his chamber without disturbing the other inmates of the house but with the conflicting emotions of ardent hopes and appalling fears and holy aspirations filling his breast by degrees, however, as he was enabled to reason to himself with increasing calmness, the fears and the doubts became fainter and fainter, while the hopes and the aspirations grew stronger and stronger, and at length, throwing himself upon his knees, he exclaimed fervently, O Lord, deal with me as thou wilt, thy will be done. It was late in the afternoon of a sultry day, toward the close of September, or, to be more particular, on the twenty-fifth of that month, that a numerous and brilliant cavalcade on emerging from a grove that bounded one of the sinuosities of the arno came within sight of the towers and pinnacles of florence on the white felt turbans of a hundred and fifty ottoman soldiers glistened the crescent the symbol of islamism and their steel sheathed scimitars and the trappings of their horses sent forth a martial din as they were agitated by the rapidity of the march forty-eight slaves also mounted on steeds procured at leghorn followed the soldiers with a short interval between the two corps and in the space thus left rode the greek demetrius and lady nisida of riverola the latter wore the garb of her sex and sat upon her horse with the grace of an amazonian queen the moment the cavalcade came in sight of the fair city of flowers a flush of joy and triumph suddenly diffused itself over nisida's countenance and her lips were simultaneously compressed to prevent the utterance of that exclamation of gladness which her heart sent up to her tongue demetrius now commanded a temporary halt addressing himself to a turkish youth who had been attached to his person in the capacity of secretary he said "Yakub, hie thou in advance with an escort of two soldiers and two slaves and push on to florence there seek an immediate interview with the president of the council of state and acquaint that high functionary with the tidings of my approach thou wilt inform him that i am about to enter florence in the peaceful capacity of envoy from the puissant and most glorious ibrahim pasha the vizier of the sultan to treat on divers matters interesting to the honour of the ottoman port and the welfare of all italy in the meantime i shall so check our speed that we may not reach the city until after sunset which arrangement will afford you two full hours to accomplish the mission which i now entrust to thee yakub bowed and hastened to obey the commands which he had received speeding toward florence attended by two soldiers and two slaves demetrius then ordered his party to dismount and rest for a short space upon the banks of the arno some of his slaves immediately pitched a tent into which he conducted nisida and refreshments were served to them when the repast was concluded and they were left alone together for a few minutes nisida's manner suddenly changed from calm patrician reserve to a strange agitation her lips quivered her eyes flashed fire and then as if desperately resolved to put into execution the idea which she had formed she seized demetrius by the hand bent her head toward him and murmured in the faintest whisper possible start not to hear the sound of my voice i am neither deaf nor dumb but this is not the place for explanations i have much to tell you you much to hear for i can speak to thee of calanthe and prove that he whom thou servest so zealously is a wretch meriting only thy vengeance my god my god what marvels are now taking place murmured the greek surveying nisida in profound astonishment not unmingled with alarm silence silence i implore you continued she in the rapid low and yet distinctly audible whisper for your sake for mine betray me not deaf and dumb must i appear deaf and dumb must i yet be deemed for a short space but to-night at twelve o'clock you will meet me demetrius in the garden of the Riverola mansion and then i will conduct you to an apartment where we may confer without fear of being overheard without danger of interruption i will not fail thee lady said the greek scarcely able to recover from the amazement into which nisida's sudden revelation of her power of speech and hearing had thrown him then as an oppressing feeling seized upon his soul he demanded but calanthe lady in the name of heaven one word more and let that word give me hope that i may see my sister again demetrius answered nisida her countenance becoming ominous and sombre you'll never behold her more the lust of Ibrahim Pasha, nay, start not so violently, brought destruction and death upon Calanthe. The features of the young Greek were at first distorted with anguish, and tears started from his eyes, but in the next moment their expression changed to one denoting the fiercest rage. Nisida understood all that was passing in his soul, and she bent upon him a significant glance, which said more eloquently than language could have done, Yes, vengeance thou shalt have she then rose from the velvet cushions which had been spread upon the ground within the tent and waving her hand in token of temporary farewell to demetrius hastened forth mounted her horse and departed alone and unattended toward florence great was the surprise that evening of the numerous servants and dependents at the riverola mansion when donna nisida suddenly reappeared after an absence of very nearly seven months and that absence so unaccountable to them Although her haughty and imperious manner had never been particularly calculated to render her beloved to the menials of the household, yet her supposed affliction of deafness and dumbness had naturally made her an object of interest, and, moreover, as close upon three months had elapsed since Count Francisco himself had disappeared in a strange and alarming way two days only after his return from the wars, the domestics were pleased to behold at least one member of the lost family come back amongst them as it was with sincere demonstrations of delight that the dependents and menials welcomed Donna Nisida at Riverola, and she was not ungracious enough to receive their civilities with coldness. But she speedily escaped from the ceremonies of this reception, and intimating by signs to the female minions who were about to escort her to her apartments that she was anxious to be alone, she hurried thither, her heart leaping with joy at the thought of being once more beneath the roof of the palace of her forefathers. "'And Ferdinand, wast thou forgotten?' "'Oh, no, no, in spite of all her revived schemings and new plots, "'Nisida, thy well-beloved Nisida, had room in her heart for thine image.' "'On reaching her own suite of apartments, "'the key of which had been handed to her by one of the female dependents, "'Nisida found herself in the very same state as when she last was there, "'and it appeared to her a dream, yes, a very wondrous dream, "'that she had been absent for nearly seven months,' and during that period had seen and experienced such strange vicissitudes the reader need scarcely be informed that nisida's first impulse on entering her own suite of apartments in the riverola mansion was to hasten and gaze once more upon the portrait of her mother and intent earnest enthusiastic was the unpraised look now fixed upon that portrait even as when we first saw nisida contemplating the sweet and benignant countenance in the second chapter of our narrative Yes and again was we'll her gaze indicative of a devotion an adoration a worship oh my sainted mother thought nisida within her breast i have not proved ultimately faithless to the solemn vows i pledged to thee upon thy deathbed no if for a time i yielded to the voluptuous idleness of love and passion in that now far-off mediterranean isle yet at last did i arouse myself to energy for young francisco's sake and i came back as soon as heaven sent me the means of return to the place where my presence may best serve his interests and carry out thy wishes for oh when thou wast alive my worshipped my adored mother how good how kind how affectionate wast thou toward me and that tenderness of a mother for her offspring ah how well can i comprehend it now for i also shall soon become a mother yes Ferdinand, within the last week i have received the conviction that a being bearing thine image will see the light in due time and the honour of the proud name of riverola requires that our Charles must not be born of an unwedded mother but wilt thou seek me out fernand oh where art thou now whither was the bark in which i beheld thee last wafting thee away and all the while that these thoughts were agitating within her mind donna nisida kept her eyes intently fixed on the portrait but on reflecting a second time that she should fail to meet with wagner soon again or should he prove faithless to her or if indeed he should nurse resentment and loathing for her on account of her unworthy conduct toward him on the island and that her child should be born of an unwedded mother when we say she thought of this dread probability a second time she burst into tears and turned away from the contemplation of her mother's countenance and nisida so seldom wept that when her tears did escape the usually sealed-up springs of her emotions, they came in torrents, and were most bitter and painful to shed. But she at length triumphed over her feelings, or rather, their outpourings relieved her, and now the remembrance of another duty, which she had resolved upon performing the moment she should reach home again, was uppermost in her mind. She contemplated a visit to the mysterious closet, the dark cabinet of horrible secrets, in order to ascertain whether curiosity had triumphed over francisco's prudence or if anyone indeed had violated the loneliness of that chamber in which the late count of riverola had breathed his last she accordingly took a lamp in her hand for it was now far advanced in the evening and proceeded to the apartment where her father's dying injunctions had been given to her brother and which that father and that brother had so little suspected to have been heard and greedily drunk in by her ears the door of the room was locked Nista accordingly proceeded forthwith to her brother's chamber and there in a secret place where she knew he had been accustomed to keep papers or valuables she found the key of the chamber containing the mysterious closet but not the key of the closet itself of this latter circumstance she was glad inasmuch as she conceived that he had adopted her counsel to carry it invariably secured about his person so that no prying domestics might use it in his absence returning therefore with the one key which she had found, she entered the apartment where her father had breathed his last. Unchanged was its appearance, in mournfulness and gloom unchanged, in arrangements and features precisely the same as when she last was there, on the night when she had intercepted the banditti in their predatory visit. She drew aside the hangings of the bed, a cloud of dust flew out, and for a few moments she stood gazing on the couch where the dark spirit of her sire had fled from its mortal tenement. And as she still lingered near the bed the remembrance of the death scene came so vividly back to her mind that for an instant she fancied she beheld the cold stern relentless countenance of the late count of riverola upon the pillow and she turned away more in loathing and abhorrence than alarm for through her brain flashed in dread association with his memory the awful words and as the merciless scalpel hacked and hewed away at the still almost palpitating flesh of the murdered man in whose breast the dagger remained deeply buried. A ferocious joy, a savage hyena-like triumph filled my soul, and I experienced no remorse for the deed I had done. Yes, she turned aside, and was advancing rapidly toward the mysterious closet when, holy God, was it reality or imagination? Was it a human being or a spectre from another world? For a tall, dark form, muffled apparently in a long cowl, or it might be a cloak— but Nisida was too bewildered to discriminate aright, glided from the middle of the room where her eyes first beheld it, and was lost to view almost as soon as seen. Strong-minded as Nisida was, indomitable as was her courage, and far away as she was from being superstitious, yet now she staggered, reeled, and would have fallen had she not come in contact with the mysterious closet against which she leaned for support. She gasped for breath and her eyes were fixed wildly upon the door by which the figures had disappeared nevertheless she had so far retained her presence of mind as to grasp the lamp firmly in her hand and at that moment after such a fright in the room where her father had died and in the close vicinity of the fearful cabinet even nisida would have fainted with terror to be left in darkness twas imagination naught save imagination she thought within herself she exerted all her power to surmount the alarms that had seized upon her. But no, I remember to have closed the door carefully behind me, and now it is open. As that reminiscence and conviction flashed to her mind, she nerved herself to advance into the passage, but all was silent, and not a soul was there save herself. Scarcely knowing what to think, yet ashamed to give way to superstitious fears, Nisida retraced her steps, and proceeded to examine the door of the closet she was satisfied that it had never been opened since the night of her father's death for the seals which she had induced francisco to place upon the lock next day were still there but all the while she was thus scrutinizing the door the lock and the seals she could not help occasionally casting a furtive glance around to convince herself that the tall dark muffled form was not standing behind her and as she retraced her way to her own apartments she stopped now and then through dread that other footsteps beside her own echoed in the long and lonely corridors of the old mansion. She, however, regained her chamber in safety, and fell into a deep reverie respecting the tall figure she had seen. Were it not for the fact of which she was confident, of her having closed the door on entering the room where her father had died, she would have concluded that her imagination had deluded her. But she now feared lest she might be watched by spies for some unknown and hostile purpose. It was perplexing, to say the least of it, and Nisida determined to adopt all possible precautions against her secret enemies, whoever they might be. She accordingly arose from her seat, and put off her upper garment, donned her thin but strong corslet, and then assumed the black velvet robe which reached up to her throat, concealing the armour beneath a flexible dagger that fatal weapon which had dealt death to the unfortunate agnes was next thrust into the sheath formed by the wide border of her stomacher and nisida smiled with haughty triumph as if in defiance to her foes she then repaired to one of the splendid saloons of the mansion and ere she sat down to the repast that was served up she dispatched a note acquainting dr duras with her return and requesting his immediate presence in about half an hour the physician arrived and the joy at beholding nisida again was only equalled by his impatience to learn the cause of her long absence and all that had befallen her during the interval she made a sign for the old man to follow her to the retirement of her own apartments and then having closed the door she said to him in a low tone doctor we will converse by means of signs no more for though still being forced to simulate the deaf and dumb in the presence of the world yet now with you who have all along known my terrible secret our discourse must be too important to be carried on by mere signs nisida returned duras also in a low and cautious tone thou knowest that i love thee as if thou wast my own daughter and thy voice sounds like music upon my ears but when will the dreadful necessity which renders thee dumb before the world when will it cease nisida soon soon doctor if thou wilt aid me answered the lady a long and earnest conversation then ensued but it is not necessary to give the details to the reader, inasmuch as their nature will soon transpire. Suffice it to say that Nisida urged a particular request, which she backed by such explanation, and we must also say misrepresentations, as she thought suitable to her purpose, and that Dr. Duras eventually, though not without compunction and hesitation, at length acceded to her prayer. She then gave him a brief account of her abduction from Florence, by the villains Stefano, her long residence on the island of Snakes, and her deliverance from thence by the ottoman fleet which was now off the port of leghorn but she said nothing of fernand wagner nor did she inform the physician that she was acquainted with the cause of francisco's disappearance and the place where he was detained at length dr duras took his leave but ere he left the room nisida caught him by the hand saying in a low yet impressive tone remember your solemn promise my dear friend and induce your brother to leave flora francatelli to her fate i will i will answered the physician and after all you have told me and if she be really the bad profligate and evil-disposed girl you represent her it will be well that the inquisition should hold her tight in its grasp with these words dr duras departed leaving Nisida to gloat over the success which her plans had thus far experienced End of section sixty three